Good morning. Hey, will you guys stand up with us? Jesus. 
Our God is faithful this morning, amen? Let's sing, nothing can separate. Nothing can separate, even if I ran away, your love never fails. I know I still make mistakes, but you have new mercy for me every day, your love never fails. You stay the same. Stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes with the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me. Your love never. When the strong, when the strong and the waters deep, I'm not alone here in these open seas. Your love never fails. The chasm is far too wide. I never thought I'd reach the other side. Your love never fails. Joy comes with the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me Because I know that you love me 
Hey, we are glad you are here with us this morning. Can you do me a favor? Uh, just as we kind of continue singing, can you just squeeze in a little bit? There's still people coming in. We want them to join in with us and, and not let it be like this awkward thing where you're sitting there praising Jesus and they're like, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> so let's just do that now. Can we do that? And let's just continue to declare God's faithfulness in our lives. Amen. Jesus. 
ushers come forward and we're going to take our offering this morning. Uh, we see a lot of new faces this morning. We're glad you guys are here. I want to kind of explain this for a second. Um, maybe you've never been to a church service where they take offering in the middle of the music. Um, that's not like so we can just sneak it in and, and catch you off guard so that you'll give or anything like that while you know, we got you in, in song mode. It's actually a part of our worship to God. Ever since God created the earth... He established some things that we uh, need to be aware of. And one of those things was that he rested on the seventh day. We haven't even gotten to Moses yet or the Ten Commandments. And yet when we get there, God establishes that for us, that we keep the Sabbath holy. And the reason we do that is because we're declaring God faithful to continue in something that we have stopped doing. When we stop working, that God is still in control, that God is still faithful and we're trusting in him. It's the same way when, when, when uh, before um, with Abel and, and his offerings and Abraham and his sacrifices and Noah, first thing he did when he got out of the boat was to offer a sacrifice to God. This is what God has created us to do, to give, to give and not just uh, money, okay? Those guys didn't give their money at that point. They were sacrificing animals and things like that when the temple was uh, established and the there were offerings and things like that as well. But for us, this is just one more way that we can say, God, I trust you. You are faithful to keep your promises. And today we're going we're gonna to learn even more about that. That despite our, I love the title of today, God's dysfunctional family. Despite our dysfunction, despite the sin in our lives, God still chooses uh, to use us to accomplish his faithfulness and to make his name known. That's what we're doing when we give 
is making God's name known, saying, God, I trust you. I love you. You are God, and I am not. And so we give as we sing and declare those praises to him. Amen. Father, we love you, and we praise you for who you are. Lord, we come before you uh, humbly in your presence. We know, God, that that uh, in, in the midst of, of believers, Lord, your Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us so that we can say that you work for our good, that we can say that you are, uh, uh, are here right now with us. And so, God, this morning I pray um, that as we continue to worship you, that we would give freely, that we would give sacrificially, that we would give not to give to a church, or so that anyone else sees us give this morning, but that we would give simply to say, Lord, I trust you. You are God. Here I am. You be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord, we stand humbled before your presence in your glory, in your majesty. God, the, the purity of who you are and the holiness. Lord, we tremble before you this morning, and yet we are changed by your love because you sent your son, the perfect image of the invisible God, to come and be the greatest sacrifice ever to be made and to do it for us, for our good, that we can be brought back to you and for your glory so that all the world will know that you alone are God and you alone are faithful to the very end. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us through his life and death and resurrection. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. It's, uh, it's good to uh, sing with you all. It's good to be in the front row. I love the front row. Um, there's always space in the front row. Um, but it's good to be in the front row because uh, I get to hear. It's loud here. It's loud coming from the back. And it's good to sing together, especially the last song, just declaring the majesty of our God. Um, next week, first of all, thank you so much for all the bags back there for Operation Christmas Child. It's awesome to see all those things come in today. You have one more Sunday to do that before kids back in Sun Chasers pack up shoe boxes, which is a ministry, uh, a, a part of uh, Samaritan's Purse, sending out shoe boxes to children around the world. So one more Sunday to do that. If you're packing your own shoe box, you can bring that with you um, on the, either next Sunday or the 22nd, and we will uh, pray over those shoe boxes and send them out on the 22nd and pray for the kids that will receive those and pray that the gospel will uh, go forward as a result of those shoe boxes. If you're not sure of how to pack a shoebox, uh, I want to show you a video of how to do that. And then also, as this video is playing, if the families, if the parents and children who are going to be dedicated to that today, if you want to make your way up during this video, that'd be awesome. So let's watch this. people. Say hi to a new kid. This is Jack. It's his first day. Hey, so people, we have a new directive. We need to create a video that'll explain how to bag a shoebox gift for Operation Christmas Child. What do you got? Go. Okay. We need to think multi-platform. Do we have brand loyalty issues? Think target audience. What's our demo? How is this measurable? Synergy. We need to think out of the box. Creating a spreadsheet now. Make sure that's in triplicate. How do you pack a shoebox again? Oh, boy. All right, Hotshot. Him was the messaging boys. Basically, you get an empty shoebox. Or some kind of other box. It does not have to be a shoebox. I do not want people thinking it can only be a shoebox. We need to push the envelope, people. Not a bag, though. No, not a bag. Who is going to put toys in a bag? Uh, Santa. So, you have your empty box. You decide if it's for a boy or a girl. Then, you pick out an age range. That's correct. You pick an age 2 to 4, 5 to 9, or 10 to 14. Then you pack the box with items for that child. Toys, school supplies, toothpaste, toothbrushes. There are certain things you can't put in the box. Like what? Chocolates, liquids, items related to war, etc. Can't you also follow your box line? 
That's correct, sir. One can also build a box online. This is getting confusing. It's not confusing. People have options. There's options. People like options. Uh, analytic data does suggest that people do, in fact, like options. All right, people, let's circle back. What's next? Write a letter and include a photo. And makes it more personal. Don't forget, people. People should pray for the child that's going to receive the gift. I want people to know that prayer is the most important thing that goes into a shoebox gift. Of course! Through these gifts, children will hear about the gospel, some of them for the first time. Uh, sir, the $7? Oh, yeah, right. Let's flush that out. $7? To send the shoebox to the other side of the world. That's a deal. That is a deal. International export is a multi-million dollar industry. And you're complaining about $7? I, I can't even get a latte for that. I wouldn't complain. All right, people, this looks like a win-win. Just deliver your box to a drop-off location. Hashtag boom. You're done. There are drop-off locations across the continental United States, as well as Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. All right, that's great, people. Now we have to put all of those stuff into a video. And it's got to go viral. Go. Well, aren't we really saying that through a simple gift, we can share the love of Jesus with the child on the other side of the world? Maybe we should just focus on that. newbie. This has been a real paradigm shift. Let's have a meeting about this same meeting next week. Same time. Good work, people. So Boy, you... I could really go for some <clears throat> sushi today. I'm gluten-free. If you've ever uh, worked uh, in a corporate world, um, you understand how to have you have a meeting after the meeting and an email after the meeting and a follow-up on the meeting and all that kind of stuff. So if you Need to know how to pack a shoebox. There you go. Families, you want to come on up to the stage? Uh, we've got some parents dedicating their children to the Lord this morning, and uh, we love this opportunity we have to pray over these kids, pray over their families, and uh, see, their, see their parents dedicate themselves to the Lord as well at the same time. I'm going to let them introduce their own families and their kids. And the stage is big enough. How about that? Uh, Brian and Lizzie Blunier, and these are our children, L, Jack, Noel, Paisley, and then Ren is getting dedicated today. We're Taylor and Jared Ingram, and this is our daughter, Savannah, who's getting dedicated today. I'm Brittany Roskop, and this is Isabel. David Stalter, this is my wife, Mindy, and Max, Joa, Milo, and Deva. Uh, I'm Mark Stalter. This is my wife, Ashley. This is Gavin, Ella, and Easton's getting dedicated today. All right, you can just hold on to the mic. Um, <clears throat> the Bible declares that children are a gift from God. And as, um, as believers in Christ, as followers of Him, we are called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God. <clears throat> God, in His goodness and His grace, gives children 
to us as gifts. And as parents, we have this awesome responsibility, uh, incredible responsibility to raise them in the ways of God, to raise them to one day trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so it's only fitting that as parents, we, in a sense, hold our children with an open hand before the Lord saying, Lord, they're yours. And so we entrust our children to you. And that's what these parents are doing today. Parents, in this act of dedication, you are declaring before God and the Crosspoint family a couple things. One is that your child is a gift from God, that they were given to you by God in, in his timing, in accordance to his will, and that God has given you the privilege to love them, to care for them spiritually, emotionally, physically. You're also declaring that you're committed to actively raise your child in the ways of God. Ephesians 6, 4 says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The Bible serves as the foundation of our lives and how we raise our children. So parents, as you know very well, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, parenting is uh, 24-7, 365. It's active, it's hands-on, it's the most demanding, most challenging, most rewarding uh, job on the planet. And uh, as a parent, it requires uh, patience and joy and, and self-discipline and self-control at times and uh, wisdom and all of these things that just reminds us that we are dependent upon God himself. So as parents, we are called to reflect our Heavenly Father to our children. We point our children to Jesus with our words and our way of life. Our children are watching us, and so they're watching our way of life. They're watching our words, and through our words and our way of life, we point our children to Christ. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Parents, your first responsibility is to love Jesus with all your heart, to teach your children to do the same, to not just talk about your faith when you come to a service, but to talk about your faith when you're along the road, when you get up, and when you lie down, and everywhere in between. By coming forward before God and His people today, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your child to the Lord? Do you promise by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide your child with a Christ-centered home, to raise them in the truth of God's word, and to encourage them to one day trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? If that's your desire, please respond by saying we do. Modeling this kind of love cannot be done alone. Following Jesus is not an individual activity. The Bible never alludes to that. The Bible always says that we are in relationship with one another, in community with one another, the same family, the same body of Christ. And so parents have the first responsibility. But the church then comes alongside, the family of God comes alongside to encourage them, support them, pray for them, challenge them as parents. And so now I direct my questions to you, the church. Crosspoint family, do you promise by God's help... Um, to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ, to help these parents be faithful to God and to help teach and train their children in the ways of God. If you accept this responsibility, please respond by saying we do. At this time, I want to invite uh, friends and family. You guys want to come up. and uh, I, I believe this is important what we just do there, but the most important thing we do is pray over these families and these children. So family, friends, you guys want to come on up, surround these families. And I'm going to have uh, one of our elders pray. And um, so come on up. An opportunity for us to hold these children before the Lord.
There we go. That's uh, just a beautiful picture to see all these friends and family gathered around and and uh, so just a supportive supportive body of Christ here. Uh, so let's uh, let's pray for these families. God, we are just uh, so thankful uh, for all these families here standing on the stage today to dedicate their children back to you. Lord, what a, a miracle every every child you bring into this world is, and we are. Uh, so so very thankful for that. We are um, just honored to have uh, uh, you being our God, being our our true leader here on this earth, and we can uh, we can just dedicate uh, all these children back to you. And we're very very thankful for that, Lord. And uh, I pray that uh, these families they will uh, continue to have. Uh, the, the utmost patience for their kids as they grow up and as they teach uh, teach their kids about you and and learn to bring them up in the way of the Lord and and uh, I pray as a body of Cross Point that we can support them through the thick and thin of life and uh, just everything that comes with life that we can um, just be that supportive body we can all be in unity and uh, just be of one body to you Lord thank you so much for your son on dying on the cross so we can have that ultimate hope and we can uh, dedicate our children back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible on your lap or on your device, get to uh, Genesis 27. It's the first book in your Bible, so a uh, piece of cake to find. We've been uh, spending much of the fall working through the book of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a good Bible, please uh, go to Guest Connections and get one of those free ones and let that be our gift to you. Thanksgiving is around the corner, and Christmas is right after that, less than seven weeks till Christmas, Okay. And so with that, some of you are probably um, stressed and anxious right now, and then others of you are excited and uh, looking forward to it, hopefully a little, hopefully more toward the excitement. But with holidays around the corner, here's what else is around the corner. Family gatherings, all right? Family gatherings. Again, a range of emotions probably. Um, gatherings with people you see all the time, people that you haven't seen since last year. And sometimes for some of us, our family gatherings can highlight the dysfunction of our families. I mean, you've got that uncle, that aunt, that in-law, that one cousin. Maybe that one is you, right? The Uncle Eddie's of this world. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you've probably got someone in your mind right now. You're thinking about, hey, I'm going to see them in later this month. You probably got something in your mind. Maybe someone has you in mind just to keep you humble. Maybe you are the one that they are thinking about right now. But none of our families are perfect, and we'll have plenty of evidence of that in the next couple months. And what we found thus far in the book of Genesis is that ever since sin into the world in Genesis 3, the perfect family left with it. The first sibling rivalry of Cain and Abel resulted in a murder. That wasn't a good start. And throughout the story of God, that uh, God is writing to us in Scripture, we're tracing the, the forming of the family of God, but that family is far from perfect. The people who trust in God for their salvation, for Jesus to be their Savior, are admitting that 
we're not perfect. Because if we were, we wouldn't need a Savior. Because one of the baseline beliefs of a Christ follower is that we admit that we've sinned, that we've fallen short of the perfection of God, that we need saving from our sin, and that by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we live the rest of our lives seeking to become like Christ and pursue holiness. But perfection won't come this side of heaven. That's not an excuse for rebellion of, oh, well, I'm not going to be perfect, so who cares? It's not an excuse for that, but it is the reality of our sin condition that we are all born with. In the New Testament, the church is compared to a family that uh, we were once orphans, but through Christ we've been brought near, we've been adopted, we've been brought close to God, we've been adopted by Him, now He's our perfect heavenly Father who cares for us and loves us, and, and yet the family of God is not perfect. We worship and serve a perfect God, perfect in, in every way. But the church is made up of believers who in Christ, believers in Christ who are not perfect this side of heaven. That's not an excuse to not seek to grow in Christ or not pursue holiness, but it's just the reality of the life of the local church. There are some guarantees in life. Ben Franklin said the two guarantees are death and taxes, which is a really positive message and uplifting, but it is the reality, isn't it? But another guarantee is that concrete will crack eventually. Um, another one is January is wicked cold around here. Another one is that there is no perfect local church. Some people keep hunting for the perfect church. It's like hunting for snipes. You ever been snipe hunting? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, Pastor Eric will take you. He's, that guy can hunt anything. He can even hunt snipes. So if you haven't gone before, please talk to him and please bring your camera and your phone, all right? But the perfect church is not out there. The perfect pastor is not out there. Most certainly not, not here. And those aren't excuses to not grow and develop as a church, but it's just the reality of the church this side of heaven. It's made up of people who are not perfect, who have not arrived, but in humility are, are seeking to say yes to the Lord, to become more like Him. And we see the dysfunction of God's family, the imperfection of its people start in the first book in the Bible, Genesis. In Abraham's family, they're far from perfect. In fact, they put the fun in dysfunction. And in chapter 27 in Genesis, we get this real taste of how this family operated. And yet, from this family, the Savior of the world will eventually come. Through this family, all nations will be blessed. The dysfunction of this family won't stop God from fulfilling His plans, His purposes, accomplishing what He set out to accomplish. Here's one evidence to me that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that its words are not man's, but they're, they're ultimately God's words. One evidence to me of that truth is that stories, like we'll read today, are included. That Moses, who God inspired to write the book of Genesis, includes stories like this showing the dysfunction of God's covenant family. The dysfunction of the genealogy of the perfect one, Jesus. Because if you and I were writing these stories... If, if man were writing these stories and God were no part in inspiring them, we would not include these. We would omit them. We would clean them up because they would make us look better because we want to be the hero. We want to write ourselves as the one who, well, we slayed the dragons. We came through in the end. We were faithful. We overcame. But again, the story that we're looking at over the next three years is lifting up God, not us. And so I love that stories like this are included. You think of the New Testament. Think of someone like Peter. He was a leader in the early church. Following the resurrection, he, he was so bold, so courageous, so faithful. 
And yet Peter was okay with the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, including stories where uh, one story of Jesus rebuking Peter, calling him Satan. Get behind me. Or, or Peter denying um, that he even knew Jesus three times over. He, Peter's okay with including that story. He didn't say, no, no, t- take that out. That, that's going to make me look bad. No, he wants it included because it lifts up God. It lifts up the grace of God. I love the honesty and authenticity of Scripture. I love how God doesn't clean up the stories, but, as we, but we read them in all their glory and all their shame sometimes. And in doing so, we see a God who is faithful, a God whose plan is going to go forward through a dysfunctional covenant family in Genesis 27. Remember the context here. God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 that through him all the nations will be blessed. He's promised to this family that their their family would be numbered like the stars in the sky or like the dust of the earth. Isaac is the promised son that's born 25 years later. And through him this covenant continues and then God reaffirms this covenant in the next generation to Isaac promising land, offspring, and blessing. And after 20 years of Isaac and Rebekah waiting to have children and trusting in God and trusting in God's timing, God provides two twins, or twins, Esau, the older one, and Jacob, the younger one. And from the very beginning, while they were still in the womb, they fought. And Rebekah brings this before the Lord, asking, why is this so? And the Lord tells her that two nations will come from these twins. The nations of the Israelites, God's people from Jacob, and the nation of Edom, or the Edomites, through, uh, from Esau. And God also told her that the, that the older would serve the younger, which was countercultural at the time. And then in verse 27 and 28 in Genesis 25, it tells us, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So the boys were vastly different. Esau loved Babe Winkleman and hunting and fishing shows, right? And Jacob is going to be an HGTV and Food Network guy, all right? Esau is going to go out and find the food. Jacob's actually going to know what to do with it in the kitchen. Esau loved No Shave November, right? He was hairy, loud. Esau was well-groomed quiet, worked among the house. And then we also see in this dysfunction where the parents played favorites. Rebecca loved Jacob because Jacob worked around their house. Isaac loved Esau because Esau went out and found game and was a hunter and was an outdoorsman. So even in that, in that favoritism, we see dysfunction. And then verses 29 through 34, we read of when the older begins to serve the younger. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. That's asking a lot for a simple bowl of stew, isn't it? It's not a fair trade in the slightest. That's a bad trade that goes down in the lunch cafeteria, if you remember that in grade school. But Esau is so focused on the temporary, so focused on, I've got to have immediate satisfaction right now. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about long term. I don't care about eternal. I'm navel gazing. I need this right now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. 
Thus Esau despised his birthright. So yes, Esau willingly gave up his birthright for stew, but Jacob sought to take advantage of him when he was weak, dysfunctional. And that gives us context into Genesis 27, that God's plans go forward through a dysfunctional family. When Isaac was old, verse verse 1 and 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older brother, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring to me and bring it to me so that I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. The blessing of the father was so important in, in that culture. The words from the father to that, to that child would shape the future of that child. The Old Testament blessing of father to son included prophetic words over their future or blessing of inheritance and those kind of things, details about their future, words of encouragement. Abraham spoke a blessing over Isaac, and now Isaac is going to speak a blessing over Esau. And to this day, fathers, we need to be fathers who speak blessing and speak words of life over our children. So when they're little, we put our, little, we put our hands on them and hold their hold their faces, or we pray over them, and we place our hands on their heads, or we put our arms around them. We write them a note, and we speak these words of life, not just in our dying, but in our living. We speak words of life. Many of us may not have grown up with a father who spoke, who used words. We must be men who speak words, write words, and speak blessing and life over our children. And in this case, Isaac wants to speak this formal blessing over Esau, his favorite son. But first, he wants food. And we're not sure if this is just a carnal type of thing that, that uh, he just wants food and then he wants the blessing, kind of like Esau did with the stew or not. But Esau goes out. He goes out to find food. Verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me some game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat of it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. And so we see this competition forming for the formal blessing of the father. And Rebecca is scheming to get her favorite son the blessing. Verse 14, So he went out and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. This is not a flattering story about Jacob, is it? This is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not a flattering story at all about Jacob. This is not a reflection, a great reflection upon Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Lying, cheating, manipulating. 
And yet, in spite of all that, not because of it, but in spite of all that, God still chooses to work through this family. God providentially uses all kinds of human actions, good and bad, to carry out His promises. We naturally think of how God uses the good that Christians do to advance the mission. When Christians share their faith, when Christians uh, love the marginalized, when Christians love the widow, the orphan, they care for the poor, care for the sick, and yet God is also able to use evil for His glory. The cross of Christ is probably the greatest example in all human history. It was a great injustice, a great evil. God uses a traitor to um, have Jesus arrested. And then a trial that should not have happened begins to take place and accusations made that aren't even valid. And the sinless one, the Son of God, dies. The murderer is released. The one who had done wrong is released. The one who had done no wrong is held captive and killed. A great injustice, a great evil. In Acts 4, Peter, as he's praying, declares of how God uses evil for his purposes. Verses 27 and 28, he says, For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And yet through the evil and the injustice of the cross, God provided a way of salvation to the world. He was fulfilling the promise that he'd made back in Genesis 12. Now the evil didn't come from God because God is good, and God is perfect, and God is gracious. God's character does not change. He doesn't have mood swings like you and I do. <clears throat> I still have adult temper tantrums sometimes. I don't know if you do, but sometimes I have bad days, good days, mood swings. My children would know this. My wife would know this. Sometimes my basketball team would know this. All right, sometimes I have mood swings. God doesn't. Praise God he doesn't. God doesn't have the ability to, or doesn't have that, those mood swings, but he does have the ability to redeem the evil and the dysfunction and turn it for good. At the end of Genesis, a, a story that we'll be looking at on Thanksgiving weekend, Joseph, the son of Jacob, says this to his brothers who were more than evil to him, who wanted him for dead. Genesis 50, verse 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. But God intended it for good, some translations say. I'm not sure what evil or dysfunction has occurred in your life. In a room this big, there's a laundry list of things. But listen, that evil didn't originate with God. He's not out to get you. He's not out to plunk you on the head with a holy finger from, from the uh, cosmic world. He does intend, though, to use that evil, that dysfunction, that brokenness for your good and for His glory. He does have the ability to do that. He does have the ability to make beauty from ashes, to make streams through the desert. The question we must wrestle with is, are we, are we willing to say yes to that? Are we willing to say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use this. Whether it's your own sin, whether it's someone else's sin, but I'm trusting in you that ultimately you'll use it for my eternal good, my good here on this earth, and your glory. I will humble myself. I will seek to repent and change, and I will trust in you to finish the work that you've begun in me. And so God's plans are going to go through this dysfunctional covenant family, including a deceitful son. Verse 18, 
So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Repeatedly, Jacob just blatantly lies to his father. One big reason we see is that he wanted the blessing of his father. He, wanted to, he wants to obey his mom's schemes. He wants the blessing because he already has Esau's firstborn birthright, and now he wants it all. He wants something. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get it. He's willing to sin and disobe- disobey God in order to get what he wants. The motivation is selfishness and greed and we do the same thing, right? We still have the same motivation. We are still sometimes prone to selfishness and say, I want what I want. I I want it now, and we we have the same motivation. I'm okay with a little white lie here. I'm okay with a little deceit here. I'm okay with acting this way with this group and this way with another group because my image is on the line. I need to make sure I protect that. We're okay with doing those kind of things, but that's not the way of a Christ follower. It's not the way of a Christ follower. We are to be people who walk in the light, who pursue to be people who put off falsehood and live with honesty and integrity because the truth is what sets us free. Lies simply compound and and build like a snowball and they turn into more and more entanglement. The truth, the light, is what sets us free from the slavery of our sins. So here we don't lift up Jacob as a model, but rather... We recognize that we face the exact same temptations. There, but for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go I. So we don't look at Jacob and be like, oh, you're man, you're so manipulative. No, we look at Jacob and say, no, there, but for the grace of God, go I. So we see how Jacob fell into temptation and lying, and yet we also see that God will work through a deceitful son. The sin is not the end of Jacob's story. Through Jacob's family will come the sinless, perfect one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. In the chapter for this week, one out of the uh, uh, study guide, Pastor J.D. Greer, it quotes him and says this, In the great mystery of grace, God commandeers even our stupid decisions to accomplish His purposes in us. In the great mystery of grace, God commandeers even our stupid decisions to accomplish His purposes in us. You ever made a stupid, stupid decision? I have. 
Ever had that moment, that choice, that action that you wish you could take back? Ever have words rolling off your tongue in pride and your humility can't catch them in time? Ever had that? And even in those stupid decisions, those sinful decisions, our God will still accomplish His purposes. This is the beauty and power of grace. I've made sinful choices in my marriage. Grace has been greater than my sin. I've made sinful choices as a parent. Grace has been greater than my sin. I've made sinful choices as a friend. Grace has been greater than my sin. I've made sinful choices as a pastor, selfish choices. Grace has been greater than my sin. And that grace, again, is not this license to say, oh, who cares? It's this invitation instead that says, no, no, there's a better way. Grace that invites us to turn around and repent and confess, walk in the light, receive forgiveness. Grace that welcomes home the prodigal son still covered in pig slop and throws a party when he returns. God's grace is greater than our sin. Do you know that reality today? Do you know that reality? Not for someone else, but for your own heart. Do you know that reality? God's grace is greater and His plans and purposes will not be affected by Jacob's deceit, but rather God will redeem that and use it for His glory and for His mission. We continue in verse 30 looking at Esau and his response. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is it not rightly? Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not received, not, not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau has given up the birthright in chapter 25. And now in chapter 27, we see that he's now been deceived out of his father's blessing. From the family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blessing will come. It's been promised in Genesis 12. It's been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. But for those outside that family, outside of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that line, there is no such blessing. There's no blessing for Esau. There's no blessing from the Heavenly Father if we don't know the Son. If we don't trust in the Son, if we don't follow the Son, but in Christ, in Christ, if we know the Son, we've been given everything. There is abundant blessing. 
Listen to Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so we don't find these blessings from God outside of Jesus, but only in a relationship, in a covenant relationship with Jesus. Because in that relationship, we are saved, forgiven, empowered, loved, reconciled, redeemed. Do you know Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you confessed him as the Lord and Savior of your life? If not, I, I pray you will today. If you have questions about what that means or what that looks like, you can always talk to me or Eric or Elder or another leader around here. So we get to the New Testament and the book of Matthew, and it begins with the genealogy of Jesus the family line of Jesus, and it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. See, all throughout Scripture we see this line, right, of that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the God who saw fit to use and bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who's still using us for this mission, for his purposes in this world. And none of those guys were perfect, right? We've seen that over and over. And yet they didn't trust in themselves. They trusted in God. They, they lived, they walked by faith. We especially see that in Abraham. They worshiped God because God is the hero, not Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but rather the God who's been faithful through all of that and continues to be faithful. For the Christian, we are admitting that we are not perfect, that we have fallen short, that we are born sinful, that we need a Savior, that Jesus is that Savior He is our Savior. He is the perfect one we trust in whose perfect death paid the price for our salvation. And we've been invited by God, commissioned by God to tell of His story, to show and tell of the good news, to share our faith, our testimony. So as we we look at today's verses and the dysfunction of God's covenant family, I want to encourage you in this as we finish up. When you share your testimony, when you share the good news, when you share your, your story of how the good news has intersected your life, don't clean up your story. Don't try to dress up your story. Now, don't spend 10 minutes talking about how wicked and rebellious you were and then spend 40 seconds on the grace and mercy of God. But don't dress it up as as if giving the impression that you got saved by grace, but boy, after that, you worked at it. And by your knowledge, you're kept in the family. Or by your obedience, you're kept in the family. No, it's grace all the way through until you see him face to face. So you talk about the grace and mercy of God. You and I are not the heroes of our stories. God is. So when we share from a place of brokenness and honesty and authenticity about how God has not only saved us, but continues to save us in spite of us, that he still shows us grace when we blow it. And that grace invites us back to trust in him, invites us back into relationship with him. When we do that kind of thing, when we share from that platform, and not a platform of spiritual pride, we exalt the mercy, the grace, the love of God, and not our awesomeness. The Apostle Paul shares his testimony in 1 Timothy. Listen to, listen to how he doesn't clean up his story or make himself the hero. Instead, he lifts up the mercy and patience and love of God. Chapter 5, 12 through 17, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me in his service, to his service. Even though 
I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So this week, share God's story through your story. Share how God has saved you. And it's been only through Jesus who came into this world to save sinners. Share about your unbelief that you had at one point. And then share about how the grace of God has been poured out in your life and continues to be poured out in your life. Share from a place of honesty, exalting the mercy, the love of God in that sharing. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this reminder as we look at Genesis 27 that you are faithful even when we are faithless, God, that you are faithful to uh, fulfill your promises, your plans, even through uh, a dysfunctional covenant family. I thank you for the reminder of your grace. Father God, I pray that you would give us divine opportunities this week to share the good news, to share our stories. But in those moments where we wouldn't, but in those moments we wouldn't be the hero, but you would be. I thank you that you are the hero of Scripture. You are the one who exalted. You are the one who is worshipped above all else. Grow our love for you this week to be above anything else. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, holding nothing back, walking in surrender, walking by faith. And may we be people who are salt and light in this world. Open up doors for your message to be proclaimed this week. And we love you. And we thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Discover Crosspoint is coming up this next Sunday. If you're new with us and you want to understand more about what's going on, how you could be a part of it, that's a great opportunity. Sign up in the back, though, so we can plan accordingly for food. Have a great week. Meet somebody new before you leave. God bless.